0: book 10 chapter 7 of camilla this is a librivox recording all the librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org camilla or a picture of youth by fanny burney chapter 7 a new view of an old mansion Camilla for some time bestowed no thought upon what she was doing, or whither she was going. A scene so dreadful as that she now quitted, and a character of such utter unworthiness as that with which her sister for life was tied, absorbed her faculties, and nearly broke her heart. When she stopped, however, at Bagshot, for fresh horses, the obligation of giving directions to others made her think of herself, and, bewildered with uncertainty, whether the steps she took were right or wrong she regretted she had not at least desired to stay till the answer arrived from Etherington. yet her journey had the sanction of eugenia's concurrence and eugenia seemed to her oracular when she came upon the cross-road leading from winchester to cleves and felt her quick approach to the spot so loved yet dreaded the horses seemed to her to fly Twenty times she called out to the driver not to hurry, who, as often assured her, the bad roads prevented any haste. She wanted to form some appropriate plan and speech for every emergence, but she could suggest none for any. She was now at the feet of her mother, now kissing the hands of her father, now embraced again by her fond uncle, and now rejected by them all. But while her fancy was at work alternately to soothe and to torture her, the park-lodge met her eyes. With still no resolution taken. Vehemently she stopped the chaise. To drive in through the park would call a general attention, and she wished, ere her arrival were announced, to consult alone with Lavinia. She resolved, therefore, to get out of the carriage, and run by a private path, to a small door at the back of the house, whence she could glide to the chamber commonly appropriated to her sister. She told the postillion to wait, and alighting, walked quick and fearfully towards the lodge she passed through the park-gate for foot-passengers without notice from the porter it was twilight she saw no one and rejoiced in the general vacancy trembling but with celerity she skimmed like her celebrated namesake the turf and annoyed only by the shadows of the trees which all as first they caught her eye seemed the precursors of the approach of mrs tyrold speedily reaching the mansion but when she came to the little door by which she meant to enter she found it fastened to the front door she durst not go from the numerous chances by which she might surprise some of the family in the hall and to present herself at the servants gate would have an appearance degrading and clandestine she recollected at last the sash-door of a bow-window belonging to a room that was never occupied but in summer thither she went and knowing the spring by which it could be opened on the outside let herself into the house with steps not to be heard and scarce breathing she got thence into a long stone passage whence she meant to mount the back stairs she was relieved by not meeting any one in the way though surprised to hear no footsteps about the house and no voices from any of the apartments cautiously she went on looking round at every step to avoid any sudden encounter but when she came to the bedchamber gallery she saw that the door of the room of sir hugh by which she must necessarily pass was wide open it was possible he might be in it she had not courage to pass her sight thus unprepared after so many heavy evils might be too affecting for his weak frame she turned short round and entered a large apartment at the head of the stairs called the billiard-room where she resolved to wait and watch ere she ventured any further its aspect was to the front of the house she stole gently to a window whence she thought the melancholy of her own mind pervaded the park none of her uncle's horses were in sight no one was passing to and fro and she looked vainly even for the house-dog who ordinarily patrolled before the mansion she ventured to bend forwarder, to take a view of the side-wings. These, however, presented not any sight more exhilarating, nor more animated. Nothing was in motion, no one was visible, not even a fire-blazed cheerfulness. She next strove to catch a glance of the windows belonging to the chamber of Eugenia, but her sigh, though sad, was without surprise to see their shutters shut. Those of Indiana were closed too how mournfully cried she is all changed what of virtues are gone with eugenia what of beauty with indiana the one so constantly interesting the other looking always so lovely but deeper still was her sigh since mingled with self-reproach to perceive her own chamber also shut up alas she cried my poor uncle considers us all as dead to him she durst not lean sufficiently forward to examine the drawing-room in which she concluded the family assembled but she observed with wonder that even the library was not open though it was still too light for candles and dr orkborne who usually sat there from the forgetfulness of application was the last to demand them the fear of discovery was now combated by an anxiety to see some one any one and she returned to the passage All there was still quiet, and she hazarded gliding past the open door, though without daring to look into the room. But when she came to the chamber of Lavinia, which she softly entered, all was dark, and it was evidently not in present use. This was truly distressful. She concluded her sister was returned to Etherington, and knew not to whom to apply for counsel or mediation. She no longer, however, feared meeting her parents, who certainly had not made her sister quit Cleves without themselves, and, after a little hesitation, relying upon the ever-sure lenity of her uncle, she determined to cast herself upon his kindness, but first to send in a short note, to avoid giving him any surprise. She returned down the gallery, meaning to apply for pen and ink to the first person she could find. She could only, she knew, meet with a friend, unless by ill-fortune she should encounter miss margland the way to whose apartment she sedulously shunned no longer however quite too cautious she stopped near the chamber of sir hugh and convinced by the stillness it was empty could not resist stepping into the apartment it looked despoiled and forsaken nothing was in its wonted order his favourite guns hung not over the chimney-piece the corners of the room were emptied of his sticks his great chair was in a new place no cushions for his dogs were near the fire the bedstead was naked she now felt petrified she sank to the floor to ejaculate a prayer for his safety but knew not how to rise again for terror nor which way next to turn nor what even to conjecture thus she remained till suspense grew worse than and she forced herself from the room to seek some explanation it was possible the whole family residence might be changed to the back front of the house she descended the stairs with almost equal apprehension of meeting any one or seeing no one the stone passage was now nearly dark it was always the first part of the house that was lighted as its windows were small and high but no preparations were now making for that purpose she went to the housekeeper's room which was at the foot of the stairs she had descended the door was shut and she could not open it she tried repeatedly but vainly to be heard by soft taps and whisperings no one answered amazed confounded she turned slowly another way not a soul was in sight not a sound within hearing everything looked desolate all the family seemed to be vanished insensibly yet irresistibly she now moved on towards the drawing-room the door was shut she hesitated whether or not to attempt it she listened she hoped to catch the voice of her uncle but all was inviolably still this was the only place of assembling in the evening but her uncle might have dropped asleep, and she would not hazard startling him with her presence. She would sooner go to the hall at once, and be announced in the common way by a servant. But what was her astonishment in coming to the hall to find neither servant light nor fire, and the marble pavement covered with trunks, packing-mats, straw, ropes, and boxes? Terrified and astonished, she thought herself walking in her sleep. She could combine no ideas, either good or bad, to account for such a scene, and she looked at it bewildered and incredulous. After a long hesitation, spent in wonder rather than thought, she at length determined to enter the breakfast parlour and ring the bell, when the distant sound of a carriage that was just entering the park made her shut herself into the room, hastily but silently. It advanced rapidly. She trembled. It was surely, she thought, her mother— when it drove up to the portico and she heard the house-bell ring she instinctively barred her door but finding no one approached to the call while the bell was impatiently re-rung her strong emotions of expectation were taking her again into the hall but as her hand was upon the lock of the door a light glimmered through the keyhole she heard some step advancing and precipitately drew back the hall-door was now opened and a man inquired for a young lady just come from aldersford there's no young lady here at all was the answer in the voice of jacob finding it only her own driver she ventured out crying "Oh, jacob where is my dear uncle jacob was at first incapable of all answer through surprise at her strange appearance but then said "Oh, miss camilla you'll go nigh to break your good heart when you knows it all but how you've got into the house is what i can't guess but i wish for my poor master's sake it had been before now horror crept through every vein of camilla in the explanation she awaited of this fearful mystery she motioned to the driver to stay returned back to the parlour and beckoned for she could not speak to jacob to follow her when he came and shutting the door was beginning a diffuse lamentation eagerness to avert lengthened suspense recovered her voice and she passionately exclaimed jacob in two words where's my uncle is he well why yes miss camilla considering he began but camilla whose fears had been fatal interrupted him with fervent thanksgiving till she was called back from joy by the following words he's gone away miss camilla gone lord knows where given up all his grand housekeeping turned off almost all his poor servants left this fine place to have it let to whoever will hire it and is going to live he says in some poor little lodging till he can scrape together wherewithal to pay off everything for your papa a thunderbolt that had instantly destroyed her would gratefully have been received in preference to this speech by camilla who casting up her hands and eyes exclaimed then am i the most detestable as well as the most wretched of human beings my father i have imprisoned my uncle i have turned from his house and home and for thee o my mother this is the reception i have prepared jacob tried to console her but his account was only added torture the very instant he told her that his master had received the news of arrest of mr tyrold he determined upon this violent plan and though the so speedy release through the generosity of mr westwyn had exceedingly calmed his first emotions he would not change his purpose and protested he would never indulge himself in peace nor comfort more till he had cleared off their joint debts of which he attributed the whole fault to himself from having lived up to the very verge of his yearly income when he ought he said considering there were so many young people to have always kept a few odd sums at hand for accidents we all did what we could continued jacob to put him off from such a thing but all to no purpose but if you'd been here miss camilla you'd have done more with him than all of us put together but he called miss lavinia and all of us up to him and said to us I won't have nobody tell this to my poor little girl, meaning you, Miss Camilla, till I've got somewhere settled and comfortable, because of her kind heart,' says he. Tenderness so partial, at so suffering an instant, almost killed Camilla. "'Oh, Jacob,' she cried, "'where is now my dear, generous uncle? I will follow him in this chaise,' rushing out as she spoke. "'I will be his servant, his nurse, and attend him from morning to night.' she hurried into the carriage as she spoke and bade him give directions to the postilion. but when she heard he was at present only at etherington whence he was seeking a new abort her head drooped and she burst into tears jacob remained he said alone to take care of all the things and to shew the place to such as might come miss margland had been at the house about three hours ago and had met sir hugh who had come over to give directions about what he would have packed up and he had read a letter from miss indy that was and had forgiven her but he was sore vexed miss margland had come without miss camilla only she said miss camilla was at mrs bellamy's and she did not call because she thought it would be better to go back again and see more about miss indy and so bring miss camilla next time so she wheedled his master to spare the chaise again and let her go off directly to settle everything to miss indy's mind camilla now repented she had not returned to mrs Burlington's there notwithstanding all objections to have waited her recall since there her parents still believed her and thence under the protection of miss margland would in all probability summon her to present herself after this barbarous aggravation of the calamity she had caused undemanded and unforgiven at Etherington, she thought impossible she inquired if by passing the night at cleves she might have any chance of seeing her uncle the next day jacob answered no but that mr tyrold himself with a gentleman from winchester who thought of hiring the house were to be there early in the morning to take a survey of the premises a meeting thus circumstanced with her father at a moment when he came upon so direful a business as parting with the place of which she had herself occasioned the desertion seemed to her insupportable and she resolved to return immediately to belfont to see there if her answer from lavinia contained any new directions and if not to again go to london and await final commands without listening evermore to any hopes projects or judgments of her own Beseeching the worthy Jacob to pardon her non-payment, with every kind assurance that her uncle should know all his goodness, she told the postilion to take her to Belfont. He could go no further, he said, and that but a footpace than to Aldresford. Jacob marvelled, but blessed her. And Camilla, ejaculating, "Adieu, dear happy Cleves," was driven out of the park. End of Chapter Seven.